0: Good morning. My name is Jake Porter, and I'm a mission partner with Neartown Church. We are so grateful that you've decided to join us in worship online today. Our current teaching series, Visible, is based on one of Jesus' most famous sermons rooted in, recorded in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. The series is all about how Christians are called to be visible expressions of God's kingdom. Well, this morning, though, we're going to sort of take a break from that series so that I can share with you what I hope are some timely truths from God's Word. Timely because in the work that I do every day, I see how desperate our culture is for them. Timely because in my own life, they very often made the difference between joy and peace and pain and conflict. And timely because, well, it's February 14th, Valentine's Day. That's right. Today's message is on love as connection. In the 3rd century AD, Claudius II ruled the Roman Empire. He was a military genius and very successful on the battlefield. He was also cold-hearted near to the point of inhumanity. Claudius became convinced that single men make better warriors because they are not distracted by love. Love, he believed, would cloud the mind and hinder clear thinking. So he issued a decree that young men serving in the military could not marry. Well, a Christian bishop in the empire believed that Claudius' decree against human love was not only cruel, but a denial of a greater law from a God who is himself love. So the bishop decided at the, own, at the risk of his own life to defy the empire's orders and marry Roman soldiers. He traveled around the Roman Empire marrying young men and women in secret. Hundreds of couples would travel for days or weeks to come to him for the marriage blessing. For more than two years, the bishop followed his conscience. And for more than two years, Claudius lost many of his clear-thinking soldiers to the heartache, pangs of grief, and ecstatic highs that accompany love. Eventually, the buzz of the bishop's underground activities increased in volume until he was caught, arrested, and put on trial. And when he refused to annul the illegal marriages, comply with the emperor's law, and recant his position that his disobedience to Rome was obedience to God, he was burned at the stake. The fire was started with Christian marriage licenses. And so on February 14th, around the year 270 AD, Valentine was martyred. But it was too late. Claudius could not stop the young men and women from falling in love, nor could he stop Christian pastors from believing that marriage is a gift from God for all men and women who love one another. The heart's love's triumph over an emperor's clear thinking. Love cannot be stifled for a level head. Now, this is because love is from God. Certainly in our culture, the idea of love is abused and perverted, degraded into lust or selfish gratification of our most base desires. But love is from God. And I believe the experience of love, whether between a husband and wife or two friends or a parent and a child, qualifies as what theologians call a common grace, an undeserved gift of God to all humanity. But what really is it? Well, unfortunately, I believe that in an effort not to succumb to the world's misunderstanding of love, Christians often over over overcorrect and articulate an idea or definition of love that is equally untrue to that put out by the world. At least that's been my experience. I used to believe that real love was based on duty. It was a choice and not a feeling. And I believed that love required me to deny myself for the sake of the one I loved. To me, love meant that I had to decide between myself and another person and that the other person had to win that battle. Have you ever heard love explained this way? Or perhaps many of you listening to me right now find yourselves thinking, well, that's exactly what I've been taught and believe love is. Love is saying no to myself and yes for another. I'm here to say to you that that understanding of love doesn't actually stand up to Scripture. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want to make a case from the Bible for an alternative understanding of what love really is. Now, I could do this for hours from dozens of passages, but I've basically chosen three. So, we're going to think through three passages and what they tell us about love. Then, we're going to spend some time focusing on the implications of what this new understanding of love really means for us. And finally, I'm going to challenge you to go and act on this. So, let's jump in with one of the most well known passages of the New Testament, Matthew 22. In verse 34, we read about how Jesus was with the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, who were threatened by Jesus and always trying to trap him in order to protect their power and status from this radical new rabbi with such crazy ideas. Well, one asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Then verse 37, we read Jesus' answer. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all the law and the prophets. Two commandments on which all the other laws hang, Jesus says. Love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. Back in the days when I was pastoring, there was this one woman I was having a conversation with who was lamenting that her teenage son was struggling with his faith and whether or not to follow the ways of Christ or to go a different route, one that included drunkenness, recreational drug use, and casual sex. You know what she said? It was one of the saddest things I'd ever heard. She said, I know what he should do, but I hate that as a young man, he must choose between following God and being happy. In her mind, she had made up that what would be good and fulfilling for a young man his age was one path and what would be honoring to God was another. That is not true. Let me tell you, what God wants of you is always, always what is best for you. When we love God with our whole selves, when We're not sacrificing what would be good for us so that we can be about what's best for God. No, no, no. God hasn't set up the universe so that loving him means our misery. When we love God and we act in congruence with that love, then we are simultaneously doing what is best for us. We are doing what is most loving toward ourselves. Loving God and loving ourselves is one and the same thing. I mean, how about that second great commandment? What was it that Jesus said? Love your neighbor more than yourself? No. Love your neighbor before yourself? Nope. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that love for self is not a bad thing in this verse. In fact, it's assumed. You cannot actually obey this verse without loving yourself. We are to love our neighbors in the way that we love ourselves. Does that sound like God expects an either-or situation? Let's look at another passage. Now, this one doesn't actually use the word love, but I believe it speaks to this principle that I'm trying to point out from the text. And the context here is about us sharing the mind of Christ, coming to think like Jesus. And in Philippians 2, 4, Paul writes this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Did you catch that? The Bible doesn't say disregard your interests, forget your interests, ignore them. No, it says that as we look to our own interests, we also are to look to others' interests. So once again, the idea that there's an either or doesn't stand up to this verse. I love my job. I get to work with couples every day from uh, our area and really around the country whose marriages are in a critical state of emergency. Couples who are right on the verge of divorce. And one of the chief problems that I find within these couples is that one or both of the husband and the wife has a very deficient paradigm about the relationship between themselves, their partner, and the love and relationship between them. Often, one of them or both has a view of the marriage that says, when we have conflict, either she wins or I win. When there's a disagreement, we have to do either what he wants or what I want. When a choice has to be made, we either do what's best for my partner or me. This is a very them versus me mentality. It sets couples up to be in conflict, competing, even at war. It plants seeds that bear the fruit of resentment. She always gets her way. He always wins. What I want to help these couples see is that if they are truly in a love relationship, They never have to choose between what's best for them and what's best for the relationship or their partner. Why? Because what's best for the relationship is what's best for them. It defines it. Of course, there are a hundred caveats to be made here. If there's ongoing abuse on the part of one partner or if one partner is being unfaithful, all bets are off. But if both people are in it to win it, then they each find their good in what is good for the relationship. If there's a situation in which I win and my wife loses, we've really both lost. And the reverse is true as well. With my couples, I call this seeking the triple win, looking for that one solution that simultaneously is a win for him, for her, and the relationship. Whatever that is, is always what's best for me. I can tell you that I am 100% convinced that this is true. If something isn't good for my marriage, it's not good for me. Because I love my wife, so I hurt her, I hurt myself. So what is love? Real love is being so connected with another person that it makes what is best for the two of us one and the same. Love is the drive to act in the interest of my relationship because what's best for my partner or my relationship is simultaneously what's best for me. When I truly love God, my connection with him is such that pleasing him is pleasing me. Honoring his ways is most honoring to my identity. Loving him is being loving to myself, whether I feel it in that moment or not. When I truly love my wife, my connection with her is such that I see our relationship as the survival unit in life. I'm not moving through the planet with the me, myself, and I riding solo till I die mentality. I have gone all in so that I see my flourishing intricately tied to the relationships flourishing. Therefore, I act in the interest of my relationship, which is simultaneously my own self-interest. It's not an either or. Let's look at one more passage from scripture, and this is one from Ephesians 5, a really well-known passage about marriage. Let's read together, starting in verse 25. And as we do, I want you to keep this one question in the forefront of your mind. According to this text, for whom did Christ die? Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church... To himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Did you catch that? Jesus died for the church for himself. Jesus gave his life to make the church, his bride, glorious, so that he would have a beautiful bride. Jesus, the very embodiment of real love, shows us that love isn't a duty driven sacrificing of one's joy for another's. No, no, no. The author of Hebrews tells us that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. John Piper has said that love is finding my joy in the joy of my beloveds. It's finding my good in the good of my beloveds, finding my flourishing in the flourishing of my beloveds. Why? Because our connection is so strong that What's good for me is determined by what's good for this relationship. I know that when I make choices that bless my wife, that's good for me. I think that in our Western consumer-driven mindset, we are so often of this view that relationships are some transactional assumption like we have in the marketplace. I have a dollar, I can buy this or that. I have an hour, I can spend it here or there. And we import that either or thinking into our relationships. And I'm here to tell you today that God has a much richer version of love and relationships. If you're married, God wants you to experience being so all in that you experience a love that is shared and amplified by putting the relationship first. By defining what is good for you with the measure of what is good for your marriage. Maybe you're listening and you're not married. Well, this is still very much a message for you for a couple of reasons. First of all, as you audition potential life partners, please keep this in mind. Is this someone who will go so all in with you that you can live by this principle that's what, that what's best for you and what's best for your partner in the relationship are all one and the same? But I want to make this clear as well. This understanding of love isn't just for marriages. It's generally true for all relationships. I act in ways most loving to my friends when I seek the mutual good for us both. This can be hard, challenging, and even uncomfortable. Let me try to give you an example. In my life right now, one thing that I believe God is calling me to face is the reality of racism and how I can act in ways that either reinforce injustice or work against it. I recently had an experience in which I had a very sudden awareness of my own privilege and that a series of choices I had made actually reinforced racial injustice and put someone I deeply care about in a painful no-win situation. I'm now taking steps to try to undo that and learn from it and make some changes. And this involves some really hard uncomfortable conversations. I could look at this as, well, I'm doing this out of love because it's what's best for my friend who I care about. So I'm setting aside what's best for me, what's comfortable for me, doing this for them. I could look at it that way, but that would be wrong. Why? Because even though it's hard, it is what's best for me as well. By acting for the good of this relationship and not choosing between my interests and my friends, I'm doing what is Best for both of us. My friend gets to see someone hopefully who is uh, owning his mistakes and actively working to fix them. And I, well, I get to be a better person. It's a win win for me, for my friend, and for our relationship. Listen, we're made in God's image. God is a God of love, of relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one being that great Trinitarian mystery thing. And we bear His image, we are made in His likeness. The first thing God said was not good is that a human being should be alone. We're made for connection. And so what is good for our connections is good for us. So I want to call you to action in two simple ways. First of all, sometime this week, unless you work in isolation at the South Pole or something like that, you're going to come to a point where you have to make a choice about how you handle something or what you do in a relationship maybe with your spouse, perhaps a best friend, a coworker. I want to challenge you to catch yourself in that either-or thinking that there's going to be a winner and a loser. And in that moment, instead, seek the triple win, the one solution that's a win for you, the other person, and the relationship you share. I challenge you to find an opportunity to love like Jesus, to love in such a way that you find your good and your joy in the good and joy of another. And second, I want to ask you to think about Jesus. What you know about him, believe about him, have heard about him. We read earlier in that passage from Ephesians how his love moved him to lay down his life for us. The Bible says that Jesus, who perfectly loved God and neighbor, took on the penalty for all of us who love God and neighbor so imperfectly. The debt we owe, he paid. But he did it not out of a sense of dry duty or obligation, but from a place of love and joy and desire for the relationship that could come out of his acts. He died for us that we might know him and be with him. If you don't know this Jesus, this perfect embodiment of real love, you can connect with him today through faith by trusting in what he did for us on the cross. And when you know him, you'll know real love like you've never known before. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God of love who sheds your love on us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that each of us who've heard from your word today would feel within our hearts the drawing of your love, especially as we consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross paying for our sin, reconciling us to you through himself. And Lord, may we then go out and love others like Jesus did. Show others that we find our joy not in selfish interest, but in a true uh, union and commitment and relationship with you and others as we love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. We thank you for Jesus and we pray this all in his name. Amen.